Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Bucks fired defensive line coach Jay Hayes six weeks after the season and after picking up his club option on his contract. The Lightning retire Vinny LeCavier's number four on a night when Andre Vasilevsky makes the save of the year and the Rays choose a stadium site, and we'll have my interview with Rays infitter Daniel Robertson. All that and much more on Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud with the Tampa Bay Times, along with my producer Steve Versnick. Very busy weekend. We had it all covered this weekend. And Steve, we were all we were there. Everywhere. We were all there. Yeah, that's right. We're at Rays uh, Fan we Fest at- Saturday. Live mm-hmm. video. If you haven't seen it, you can go to facebook.com slash Tampa Bay Times Sports and watch the uh, hour-long conversation you had uh, with several Rays players, coaches, and Mark Topkin about mm-hmm. Rays Fan Fest. Great turnout there, by the way. Lots of people. It was amazing. We had a lot of people come by, and, and uh, they, they're listeners to the podcast. And, um, of course, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Times and, and follow me and, and, and all of that. So that was great. And we did talk to uh, Danny Robertson, who we're going to play some of that interview t- today on this podcast. Also, Austin Pruitt. Um, Micah Johnson, who's a new player that they got an infielder from the Atlanta Braves. Uh, the new pitching coach, fascinating interview with him, Kyle Snyder. Ozzie Timmons, the new first base coach. Matt Quattraro, uh, the third base coach. So a whole new coaching staff, really, for Kevin Cash this year. A lot of changes on there, and uh, and uh, you know a lot of buzz about the Rays this year. If for nothing mm-hmm. else, the you know you kind of felt the buzz about the stadium announcement that happened Friday. Uh, right. A lot of the fans excited that finally. It seems like there's more progress being made. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, the Rays picking a site in Ybor City. Um, they have a sort of a initiative. Uh, I think it's Rays 2020 to get some corporate support. Of course, the stadium itself, they're hoping might, you know, if they put a shovel in the ground, it'd take them three years after that. A lot of financing things that have to happen, but we can certainly get into that and what their what their design of that building might even look like. Um, Mark Tompkin um, talk to Stuart Sternberg a little bit about that as well. But before we get to the Bucks news, uh, I want to tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and get a free 30-day trial membership. That's a $15 value. And as a listener to this show, you'll get a free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash sportsday to take advantage of the deal. Audible is owned by Amazon. It's the leading provider of digital auto- audiobooks. And what does that mean to you? Well, they've got more than 180,000 titles to choose from. And unlike streaming, you own your own books. Since they've been downloaded, you can listen anytime, even to them offline. That's audibletrial.com slash sportsday for a free 30-day trial membership and a free audiobook. So, Steve, uh, breaking news. Now, this happened. Uh, actually, the, the decision was made uh, on Friday to fire defensive line coach Jay Hayes. The news actually broke uh, very early, I would say, Sunday morning. We had it uh, on the website early Sunday as well and um, uh, did a lot of reporting during the day on it and updated it several times. You can go to TampaBay.com to read the story. Jay Hayes, the defensive line coach, is a very good friend and a longtime acquaintance of Dirk Cutter. I mean, these guys go back, I think, uh, to the high school days. Maybe they were they were rivals in college. 
uh, I think, at Idaho and Idaho State. And, you know, he's been with the Bucks now uh, going back, well, really, I think, to, to you know, the Lovey Smith days or, the, or thereabouts. So uh, when you look at this decision, which is, is shocking in several, several ways, and, and, and I'll start with the timing of it. It's very odd. I mean, we are six weeks after the season. We are a week after the Super Bowl. And this team decided pretty early on when, when they brought back Dirk Cutter, when they knew he was coming back, that was announced uh, before the final game. Uh, shortly thereafter, you know, all their assistants, their contracts were up, but there was a club option on all of them. And I confirmed and have confirmed that Jay Hayes was one of the assistants, along with the others, where the team actually picked up a club option. So he has a contract with the Bucks to coach in 2018. So for something like this to come down this late, um, you know, a, a lot of antennas go up. And as best as, as I can determine, uh, a couple things. I mean, my first instinct was, Steve, that, that, that maybe this was a Glazer thing. This had happened uh, many years ago with Mike Shula. He was a guy that uh, had been the offensive coordinator for the Bucks under Tony Dungy. They went to the NFC Championship game. They scored, I don't know, six points in that game. They lost to the Rams. And, and during the Super Bowl week, the Glazers met with Tony Dungy, and, and they told him they wanted to fire Mike Shula. And Dungy initially agreed, then said, called back the next day and said, no, I don't want to do it. The whole coaching staff went to the Pro Bowl, and it became a big thing. And eventually Mike Shula was fired from the Pro Bowl and, and flew back home. So I thought, well, maybe this is the Glazers again. You know, here's a guy that, that you know, Dirk Cutter's very close to in Jay Hayes. Um, we all know, look, it's, it's undeniable that, one of the biggest areas of weakness on this football team last year, and the reason, frankly, why they only won five games, is because they could not get to the quarterback at all. They were last in the league, and by a lot, with only 22 sacks on the season. That's god-awful, okay? And there were players that nearly had that many sacks uh, individually. So when you look at this, you're not surprised that there was no production, but there was a lot of reasons for that, and not, not the least of which is that you know, the Bucks' talent on the defensive line was not very good. But we know that they had some injuries in that situation as well. Noah Spence, who was their big, you know, defensive end that uh, popped his shoulder out the year before, managed to play most of the games. Uh, he came back and then was re-injured and had a good first couple games, and then he was gone after three weeks. So that was a major hit. Robert Ayers did nothing, had two sacks all season long. You take an older player who wasn't all that productive the year before as a free agent, and he let them down. They re-signed William Golston to a big contract. Not a big sack guy. Had had only three the year before. Had zero last year. So they got very little, if any, production. Uh, and there wasn't much for Jay Hayes to work with. But, Steve, I, I mean, from what I know in doing the reporting on this, this was not a Glazer decision. This was not an ownership decision. Surprisingly, perhaps, this was Dirk Cutter's decision 100%. And for him to make it, uh, six weeks after the season tells me a couple things that they they did a deeper dive or he did a deeper dive on what did or did not happen well on the defense and particularly with the defensive line and uh, perhaps maybe with time to talk to some players and some guys on the defensive line that may have impacted his decision or and this might not be mutually exclusive he has somebody in mind uh, who's either come available or, you know, he just thinks can do a better job than what Jay Hayes has done. But this was surprising to me that this happened. 
Well, my gut reaction was that they are they they know who the next person is, and they weren't going to make a change unless they could get whoever it is. S- somebody's out there, maybe just released off a of staff, or they didn't come to mm-hmm. a deal till this week. Uh, that was my gut reaction. I have no, no inside knowledge of that, but looking at it, knowing that six weeks later, and there's basically two staffs left to fill in the NFL, he's kind of out of a job this year. I mean, he is. They're, they're, I mean, I mean yeah. it's possible that something else could change, but. Right, you you kind of screwed the guy a little bit, assuming, you know, that there's not something else going on, but that the timing's just just weird when you picked up the options four, five, six weeks ago, whatever that was. Yeah, well, it is it is a disastrous time to be fired. Um, there, as far as I know, there's only a couple staffs that might still be formulating, and that would be Matt Patricia with the Detroit Lions, and then of course. Um, you know, the Indianapolis Colts, having lost Josh McDaniels, just hired Frank Reich. So presumably there may be some opportunities there. Uh, I don't know where Arizona is with their coaching staff and how much, is, how many, you know, those guys are being retained. But you do not, rest assured, if you were going to do this, if you had any inkling that you were going to do this, the thing to do in Jay's Hayes' best interest would have been to to make the decision, you know, on or about the time you went to the Senior Bowl because – that's when most of these these jobs are are being filled, and um, you know, I mean, Jay knows a lot of people in the league. He spent like twelve or thirteen years with the Cincinnati Bengals, so he's not he's not a stranger to guys in the NFL. Uh, you just don't know. You know, they didn't do him any favors, and and I'm just, you know, knowing the relationship that Dirk had with Jay. And again, if you went down the list, you said, you know, how many guys is Dirk close to on this coaching staff? Jay Hayes is at or near the very top. I mean, look. They didn't fire Mike Smith, and I recognize Mike Smith had signed an enormous deal, or so I was told, you know, when uh, this time last year when he came back to the Bucks, almost for what amounts to, you know, in some regards, head coaching money, uh, and I think he got a three-year contract. So, uh, but when you're analyzing the defense and you say where where were the problems, where did they let down, you know, certainly the defensive line, it all starts up front. Um, but there were other areas that didn't play all that well either. And how about the guy that coordinates them? I mean, for as much as Jay Hay, Hayes coaches the defensive line and, and might determine what games they run up front and these sort of things, you have a defensive coordinator that's looking at film every week. And if he doesn't like what a particular position coach is doing or the technique that they're using um, or the players that they're – the rotation that they're using, then that that would be the job of the defensive coordinator. So – I'm just surprised. I mean, again, if this had happened immediately, I expected change. I'll be honest with you, Steve. I, I didn't know that Dirk Cutter was going to make it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had written, you know, many times that, you know, for as much as the Glazers get wrapped for firing coaches every two years and maybe they should stick with somebody, there certainly was plenty of reason. And Dirk said it. Dirk said it at the end of the season. He thought that the Glazers showed courage. Um, I don't know what their what their options were. I don't know how much the John Gruden thing factored into that and the kind of contract he got. We know that the Glazers are sort of big game hunters primarily. They like to go after big names and, and, and guys at the top of the heap. Maybe they weren't available. But however it worked out, Dirk Cutter came back, and I still expected change. I, I expected that coaching. And, and even, you know, we've seen a little bit of it because Todd Munkin went from a wide receivers coach and, and sort of a pseudo-offensive coordinator to, no, 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 you're a full-time offensive coordinator. We want you to walk around, and, and, and you may even be involved in, in some play calling in, in training camp or preseason. Uh, Dirk, I think, plans on retaining that, but we don't know if Munkin's role could expand. So that was that was a change. But as far as 
just actual, you know, trade one in, one out, um, there, there didn't seem to seem like everybody sort of escaped, you know, escaped the ax. And now here we are six weeks after the season and you're firing your defensive line coach. This, this is not, this is not something you typically do. It seems, it seems bizarre. I mean, now, you know, granted if, if for whatever reason, Last week, they decided, looked at film, did whatever, and decided he mm-hmm. wasn't the best fit going forward. They have to make the move, but the Agreed. timing is very awkward. Agreed for and, all for all parties. It looks right. it looks and, bad for the Bucks. It's bad for Jay Hayes, mm-hmm. and 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 quite frankly, your pool of candidates is pretty limited at this point of who you can hire. And that's a great that's a really good point because if you were inclined to make changes, and and look, there had to be discussions about this. How this usually works is the season ends. Um, the coaches have their exit interviews with the players. They talk to us. They usually wait a few days, and sometime the week after the season, they're going to sit down with Jason Light. Maybe Jason sits down with the Glazers first. Um, we remember when Lovey Smith was fired, it was three days after the season before the Glazers wanted to talk to Lovey. They talked to Jason. They all made the decision that Lovey was gone, and Lovey was like, just fire me. I'm not coming in to talk about it. But um, but sometime in that first week or so, you have a meeting with your ownership, and they go over everything. I mean, they have lots of questions, and you better have the right answers. And even though they had committed to keeping Dirk Cutter, it didn't mean that his staff was all coming back either. But you would think that as an ownership, they would have worked through all those things, like, you know, okay, what happened on the defensive line? How much of this is what we were doing? How much of this is personnel? How much of this is Jason because he didn't draft defensive linemen beyond Noah Spence in four years, really? Um, and all that would have been sort of hashed out. And, and, and you know, while other teams are firing their coaches and letting coaching staffs go, it is a game of musical chairs. I mean, when you go to the – by the time you hit the Senior Bowl, if not the week before at the East-West Shrine practices, it's a job fair. I mean, guys are calling. They want to know if you're going to have positions. They're trying to make decisions if they're going with this staff or that staff. And Dirk has been in the league long enough to understand that, and he – has worked in Jacksonville and Atlanta, and so he has a network of coaches probably going, you know, uh, way back uh, uh, prior to him even getting to the Falcons as a coordinator. So he would have taken advantage of that if he was in in the market for one of these assistants. So, again, I think that most likely, since it was Dirk's decision to fire Jay, that he probably does have somebody that he's at least familiar with, that he's worked with someplace before, and if that's true, we'll know about it fairly certain. All, the, all that I know that Dirk is concerned with now is finding somebody to help them, you know, push forward. And, you know, I don't think this is about, you know, whether Jay Hayes, you know, put his thumb on a scale and say, I want, I want Chris Baker or re-sign, you know, uh, William Golston or, you know, we're okay with Robert Ayers. I mean, all those evaluations are also discussions, and they, they do include the position coach. But that's more of a personnel decision that Jason Light has to own. So for Jay Hayes, it's it's more about scheme. It's more about technique. It's more about whether he's actually uh, effective in in coaching, uh, you know, in getting production out of those players. Which clearly you can't argue with the fact that twenty two sacks last in the league. I mean, one a historic bad season. So I get all that. I remember, you know, and the other thing that you know, that has happened since the end of the season is you've had. Guys like Warren Sapp, uh, who was interviewed, I think, by Spectrum and, and talked about how he was lost, lost as any fan. He says, I, I know the defense, and when I'm looking at it, it just doesn't make sense. 
Um, doesn't make sense what they're doing, play in, play out. He particularly honed in on the defensive line, some of the games that they were running up front, what they were doing with Gerald McCoy. And instead of, you know, just using his quick first step, having him, you know, do some stunning and looping outside and all this sort of thing. And so perhaps some of that resonated when Dirk sat down and really got a chance to watch the film and talk to some of the players and figure out, you know, whether they're being put in the best position by Jay. Um, but I'm still, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that it's that guy because I'm telling you, if you'd have, if you'd have thrown a dart at a board other than Mike Smith, uh, there's probably nobody on that staff that he's closer to. Well, the closer part, but, you know, that position is one you would have immediately put under the microscope based on this team. Whether, right away. Whether, whether it's yeah. his fault or not, but which makes the timing even more peculiar because with the limited pool of candidates in a position that this team desperately needs to fix yes. moving forward, having a mm-hmm. limited pool of candidates isn't reassuring very unless unless it was you have your guy already and you just haven't announced it that you got the guy you wanted and so now you're making the change. Right. That, we'll that only could know make that sense. In and, a few and, days. Yeah, we'll find out once they make the hire and once we figure out. Well, and, I'll say this. You, he better know who he is because, uh, you know, I don't think you want to throw it wide open because right now, as soon as the news hit, and let's face it, they did this Friday and they didn't announce it, okay? This this got out how things usually get out. People start talking about them. So, and, and this was true when, you know, when Dirk was considering, you know, Todd Munkin becoming a full-time offensive coordinator. He didn't want it publicized right away that they had a wide receivers opening. Now, they eventually filled that inside. Uh, but he knows what happens when, you know, there's an opening on somebody's staff. You get a 1,000 people calling you saying, hey, you got to check out, you know, X, Y, and Z guy that's my, you know, defensive quality control person and all this and college coaches and everybody else. So keeping it under wraps makes sense. Um, but, but if you're – let's say you're a credible defensive line coach. Unless you're just out of options – the one thing you would have to say about coming to Tampa Bay, and I recognize that whoever they sign, they'll probably have to sign to a several-year deal, but this is a one-and-done situation for Dirk Cutter. And when I say one, I mean W-O-N, because if they don't win next season, he's already playing with house money, okay? there's The expectations, it doesn't matter what they are, because we know what they are now. The expectations are this team has to get in the postseason, I would think, uh, or win 10, 11 games and with circumstances get eliminated. Uh, but I, I think we all know what's on the table now. So wh- how many qualified, really good defensive line coaches, unless they just want to work and, and you know, live in Tampa, uh, are going to look at this situation and say, yeah, I'm, I'm betting on, on that being a long-term situation. I mean, it's really hard to get, you know, good coaches to come in a, one, a possible one-year situation. Does that make sense? It does. Now, is there anyone internally that can move up to that role? Well, there, there probably is, although my understanding, and I'll just say this, uh, it's not been ruled out, but my understanding is this is going to be an outside hire, that they don't have anybody that they think you know, uh, is going to step right in there and do that job. I could be wrong about that. I guess, again, uh, we'll, only time will tell. I haven't had a chance to talk to guys like Gerald McCoy uh, or any of the, you know, any of the, the defensive line linemen and what they thought of Jay Hayes necessarily. Um, but it's he's a good guy. I, I think that, you know, again, I'm not surprised that a change was made. You'd almost expect it. I mean, I've been getting tons of, of you know, tweets and, and emails and things about people saying, how do you expect to put the same, you know, group of coaches and the same GM and expect a different result? This is insane. 
Um, and I guess there's some validity because every team I've ever covered when they're, when they've lost, there's always been changes. And usually those changes, if they're not the head coach, it's with the coordinators, um, and then on down, but well, five, uh, six Jay weeks Hayes, ago, five, six weeks ago, we were all shocked that there wasn't changes. Yeah, we were any, we absolutely I mean, were all the coaches options were picked up, but we were everybody, everyone was shocked. I mean, it was, it was somewhat surprising. Dirk was brought back and that was announced before the last game, but everyone right. anticipated staff changes would be part of that. Absolutely. Well, apparently it was just six weeks late. Yeah, just six weeks later and not necessarily the guys we thought, which I think the, that list, just based on, again, production or lack of, that list would have begun with Mike Smith. Uh, I mean, that you know, the defense was so inconsistent. And, again, I don't, I'm not saying that they made the wrong decision. If you're going to keep your staff together, I don't think Mike Smith forgot how to coach. I don't know if Jay Hayes forgot how to coach. But, anyway, that's the way they're going, and uh, more changes could be on the way. We don't know. Maybe this is just the beginning uh, if they're going to, you know, start – you know, punting on uh, on some assistance. But for right now, uh, make sure you keep it on TampaBay.com, and, and certainly on this podcast we'll, we'll update you uh, when we can with any news that we have on that situation. I have my ideas about some guys that are available. I don't want to say it tonight. Um, I'd rather research that and, and uh, again, check back on our website, and we'll talk about it more this week. But uh, this is certainly a story to watch, and, and, and it shows to me, um, you know, that, and, and, and there's part of me that would say this, too, that, you know, Dirk recognizes that, you know, for him and for the Bucks and, and, and the rest of his coaching staff, that it's about next year. And you know what? Um, your loyalties and your friendships have to be put aside. And, you know, you can't you can't allow that to cloud your judgment. And so on the one hand, I, you know, I know that it was difficult for him to do this. I guarantee it was really hard. I mean, I can't imagine that conversation, especially this time of the year, for him to call Jay in and do this. He had to have a real conviction about it, and it shows just how urgent. And if nothing else, he's gotten the attention of some of those players, especially the defensive linemen, uh, those that might be lucky enough to come back, because I don't expect to see guys like Robert Ayers, and I don't expect to see Chris Baker. Um, but I know Golston will probably be here, and I know that – you know, Joe McCoy is still going to be here, and Noah Spence if he comes back off injury. So those guys will have a new voice in their ear, and this will certainly um, let them know just sort of how urgent this is. Okay, so um, I'm watching this thing. Steve, you were there uh, on Saturday night when the Lightning retired Vinny Clavier's uh, number four uh, jersey for life and put it up next to Marty St. Louis there in the Raptors at Amelie. And I'm telling you, couple things, observations. Now, I, I watched it on TV, which they did a pretty good job. I'm sure it was way more impactful if you were there in person as you were. Um, but let me just say that the Lightning and Jeffrey Vinnick, that organization has it down, okay? They have they – have, they, they do it in a class way. It seems like they put a lot of thought into this ceremony. I like that, that the current players were there. I like who they brought back. I like who they allowed to talk. Um, I liked everything about this this whole ceremony. The light, the lightning, and, and John Franzone is the one who's the, the who's the mastermind behind everything you see on the jumbotron and the whole experience there. And and they've been planning this for months, um, if not, you know, since the day it was announced, if probably before then, to be honest, um, sure. which was before the season began. Uh, but they, no, they do a, a, a first class. Everything they do is first class in the in the mm-hmm. way it rolls out. And and I think it, I, you know, I didn't see it on TV, but it definitely played in the arena very well. Um, 
you know, the, the speeches were great. I loved Phil Esposito. And when we drafted him and our owner met him, he said to me, the owner said to me, are you kidding me? This guy's like a rake. He's so skinny. I looked at him and I says, he's 18. He just turned 18. By the time he's 22, 23, he'll probably be 6'4", 210 pounds or so. And he says, I don't think so. I says, trust me, it's fine, trust me. He didn't know diddly squat about hockey, by the way. <laughs> I had almost came out. Anyway. Uh, he thought he was going to slip. I mean, he almost did. Um, <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, they he told was it, talking about Art Williams, right? Yes, yes. And, and yeah. he not, let me just, Phil's not the biggest fan. Um, no. And so, well, Art was an insurance salesman who was a football coach by yes. by trade. He didn't I mean, he's from Georgia. Didn't there's not a lot of hockey played there. He bought the Lightning and Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You came in here talking like a football coach. Are you a stud or a dude? And, um, and then he called Vinny his, you know, Michael Jordan of hockey. Uh, but Phil made it clear that he didn't know Plank. He said, ended up saying diddly squat, I think, or something yes, like that. Yes, I believe that's how it came out. But he came very close to slipping. Um, and I, I loved, uh, you know, one of the best lines of the, the ceremony was Vinny speaking, and, and he was talking about Marty St. Louis. So I want to say, Marty, you have absolutely nothing to fear or be concerned about tonight. I know your jersey was, you know, slightly smaller than mine, but I got confirmation yesterday that the banners and the rafters only came in one size. So we're good, okay? <laughs> Yeah. Very funny moment. I mean, those two are kind of forever intertwined in, in Lightning history and lore. Um, yeah. To this point, the two greatest players in Lightning history. I mean, we'll see if some of the current batch uh, surpasses right. them, you know, as far as the totality of a career, Stamkos and Headman and some others. Um, but right. uh, very well done ceremony. And then, but to be honest, someone else stole the show. And who that was? Andre Vasilevsky. Well, yeah, uh, for the game, when the game started, yes. sure. And the ceremony was terrific. And I thought Benny's speech was amazing and, and the, the one line that i remember from esposito before we get to the play is that esposito called Vinny the face of the franchise Vinny, i've had some honors in my life my number being retired in the boston garden was a very special moment and this is a very special moment for you because you are the face of the tampa bay lightning congratulations my man with Marty sitting there, which I thought was, was pretty impactful. But you're right. Look, when the game started, uh, it was pretty obvious that it was going to be another one of those nights for Andre Vasilevsky where he I, – I looked up, Steve, there was 20-something shots in the first period, I want to say, that the LA Kings had. Uh, I and, believe it was 18 or 16. It was Yeah, it was close to that. I mean, definitely yeah. way too many. It was insane how many they had. And, of course, you know, he's been he's – been, just nails all season long and he was making some great saves you know almost from the opening face off uh 
Um, the game was 1-1 and 2-1. It kind of went back and forth. They got, what, they get like a 4-1 lead at one point? Yes. Um, but the, he made – I mean, if, if somebody tops this save this year, it would be stunning. I, I'd love to see it because he made a save where – and you can describe it, but from what I saw on the replay, and it was interesting listening on TV to the to the – reaction many minutes later of the fans who saw it in the arena on replay and they gave him a standing ovation but that was the loudest i've heard that arena in a month or two really when they saw the replay or when he made it initially well both made it i mean the save initially but it it was okay but when they showed the replay on the screen that was the loudest i've heard that arena in quite i was wondering about that yeah Um, when they stood up and gave him a standing ovation it it was loud yeah, you could hear that. You came through a little bit on TV, and I thought that would be the case. So if you haven't seen it, um, you need to. You can go on our you can go on our Twitter feed. I mean, I've retweeted it at uh, NFL Stroud, um, and it's it's pretty much everywhere. I mean, I know NHL went crazy dot com, and it's it's every place. The Lightning, of course, Tampa Bay dot com, all of that. But try to describe it. I mean, he's he's sort of looking. He's being shielded. Number one. But he's sort of looking between the guy's legs. That's that's sort of screening him, right? Yeah, he he sprawled out to make a save earlier, and the rebound came out, and then mm-hmm. uh, it was down. It was a, a bad angle shot from the baseline, right? Uh, I can't remember who was shooting it, but uh, Vasilevs he's kind of leaning forward. He s- s- slides his hand behind his back and catches it. Yeah, I mean he on the he fly, literally on the fly, yes. like you know, I don't know like if he, he saw it. A, I don't know. I don't know if he saw it and caught it or just. Put put his hand out there. Maybe the maybe the puck caught him. I don't know. But just the instincts to quickly throw your glove behind you like that, like I mean it was part Ozzie Smith. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was it was uh it's not a it's not a typical goaltender's move. And he could probably try to do it a hundred times and would probably fail ninety nine of them. But just the reaction and and sort of the feel for where the puck was coming. And I'm not sure whether he said he even saw it, you know, initially he certainly saw the stick coming at him. Um, so he knew, he knew there was something, there was a shot fired. Uh, but this thing is just amazing. I mean, it's amazing how the whole thing played out and how he was able to catch that behind his back. The funny part of it is, uh, so I work in the booth with Dave Michigan and Phil Esposito, uh, right. during the play by play. So in the third period, Vasilevsky absolutely robs Williams of, 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 late in the game. Critical. It was 4-3 at the time. Critical save. Robbed him. Williams couldn't believe it. And mm-hmm. Michigan, in his call, as, as everyone knows, he screams. And he screams, that's the save of the night, even better than the one in the first period. But, and so then we go to a break. Uh, it, was, it was time for a break there. So during the break, on the Jumbotron of the TV, one of them, they show the replay of the Vasilevsky save from the first period where he catches it. So Michigan comes back from the break. All right, I stand corrected. That was the best save of the of the period. Uh, it does not top <laughs> the one from the first period. I just saw the replay again. That was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he made some incredible saves after that and before that. And even, uh, as you mentioned, like they had point six before the game ended. They they went a faceoff and have shoot a laser at him to end the game, and he stops that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I look, it, again, if this isn't if, – if there is a better save this year – in the NHL, I can't wait to see it because I—I I mean, that one is not just a top play. I mean, that's that's one of those. Okay, you know, it's, it's like the old Odell Beckham moment, right? You see him that one year that he made the one-handed catch mm-hmm. in the end zone. And you're like, all right, you know, the contest is over. You know, like there's that's the play of the year. No one's going to top that, and no one did. 
And this this will have to be the save of the year. I can't imagine anybody would tell. In fact, after the game, it was interesting because you know again, right up until the end, they 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 win the face off with point six and and shoot another one at him, and he saves that. And uh, it was the the Kings. Uh, was it Anze Kopitar came mm-hmm. up to him and told him, "Hey man, you need to go buy a lottery ticket," <laughs> which is kind of like saying you're lucky, but I guess it's a compliment in its own way. But I mean, that's sort of the way he played, right? Like. You know, everything was going to hit his, hit him someplace. I mean, he he was incredible Saturday night. Forty four saves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Lightning had a four one lead, but they don't win that game if they don't have Vasilevsky back there in that. Right. I mean, easily could have been a lot more goals for the Kings. They ended up being a four three final, but I could think of four or five saves at the top of my head that should have been in. The guy's special. I mean, after the game, I, I think it was uh, John Cooper said, "Look, I just watched." all these all-star goaltenders come down here and do, like, you know, amazing things, and we all know that. And yet what he just saw was better than anything he saw during the all-star game, which is which is something. And now um, more talk while you were there, Steve. You heard uh, a little more buzz about uh, potentially the Lightning picking up maybe a defenseman, maybe an Eric Carlson is being discussed. There, You know, just in the press box, people talking, it seems like they're, you know, it's been speculated kind of since the all-star game about Carlson sure. or maybe some others. And, and it's possible there may be some more legs to it than, than maybe I thought at first. Um, you know, there's nothing, nothing done, nothing set in stone, but it sounds like um, people believe that, that there may be some talks going on at least, or at least the start of, of them. Um, and that it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. Let me put it that way. Right. You and I were also at the uh, Rays Fan Fest over the weekend. Great turnout there. Uh, and we uh, did a, not only a podcast, but you can also uh, go on our uh, Facebook, on Tampa Bay Times Sports Facebook page, and see all the interviews. We, we were fortunate to uh, not only talk to Mark Tompkin of the Tampa Bay Times who joined us, also Daniel Robertson. We're going to play that interview for you here in a minute. Uh, the pitcher Austin Pruitt, who had just a great second half uh, last year as a starter. Uh, let me tell you, they got some pitching and some young guys coming up as well. Micah Johnson, who's an infielder that we spoke with, that's been with several teams, including the Dodgers and the Braves. Um, he's going to figure in the mix somewhere, and then um, the, well, he's got a, he's coach. got a new talent too that you'll hear about later this week. He does. Yes, that's you want to listen to that interview. Mark Tompkin uh, dove into that a little bit when he was on with us and what Micah Johnson's been up to. And then the new coaching staff, I'm impressed by these guys, and, and I think what impresses me the most is that, you know, a lot of organizations don't promote from within in terms of their coaching staff. Um, you get guys, you know, moving to the bench from someplace else or becoming hitting instructors or pitching coaches. The Rays have, have brought these three guys up together. Kyle Snyder, who uh, we're going to play that interview maybe in its, its totality later this week. Fascinating interview with him and about the young pitchers that he's – uh, you know, help develop in Durham and sort of maybe what some of the new philosophies may be this year um, that the Rays are going to deploy, as well as I've heard some other teams talking about it, where maybe the starters don't go as deep as normal. We talked to Ozzie Timmons, who's their new first base coach. Ozzie was a very good hitter in his own right, and he's sort of the assistant hitting coach for the Rays as well. Uh, and Ma- Matt Cotuero, uh, who's going to be their third base coach, who's, um, you know, been with uh, – uh, the Cleveland Indians as as one of their hitting coaches uh, the last few years, but was uh, an original Ray, a player, really was the first player to be get into coaching with the Rays um, going going way back. And as he told me, it just meant he wasn't a very good player, so he got done first. But Matt Matt was a great interview. So all, those, uh, all that Rays talk is coming your way this week. And, in fact, we'll start 
uh, with our interview with Daniel Robertson, uh, who has a good story to tell as well, and, and a foundation that's very successful. Uh, and we got into all of that. So, uh, but I, I think the thing that um, you know that was the news of the of the weekend for the Rays, of course, was about their stadium. And I know Mark Tompkins talked to Stuart Sternberg a little bit. The intrigue for me, you know, we, we can get into the financing and all that stuff still has to work itself out. Uh, clearly, the Rays wanted to be in Hillsborough County. Clearly, uh, their preference is to move more towards uh, a bigger population center. Uh, they, they like the idea of a downtown sort of stadium. Uh, there's some history in, in Ybor City and in, in the home of Al Lopez and, you know, just the rich uh, Latin uh, cultural area down there that that would be attractive as well as you know that's proximity to downtown sort of tying all that together but the idea that the rays i'm i'm fascinated by what they end up with in terms of their stadium design and what the the few details that sternberg did give mark tompkin was sort of almost if i'm just guessing sounds a lot like where i just came from which is minneapolis minnesota where it's more of a translucent, you don't know it's there. If, you, if, if you're inside, you don't know you're inside. If you're outside, you don't know it's an indoor facility. So what that tells me, Steve, is that and we, you know, they, they haven't decided, obviously, whether they're going to have a retractable or non-retractable roof, but clearly it'd have to be something on top of it. Um, it tells me it's going to be something that's going to be very airy and, and modern, you know, with a lot of glass and a lot of sunlight coming through it. Well, yeah, and, and you know, you talked to Mark Topkin at FanFest uh, on the uh, the live video stream, and you know, mentioning that you know Miami what had the roof open for six days or something like that. Yeah, uh, that, exactly. You know, the retractable roof's about one hundred fifty million dollars, probably. That's uh, a lot. So it, it may end up being more permanently enclosed, or you know, where but yeah. glass and airy in that, where um, take mm-hmm. advantage of the sunlight in there, but you know, with right. all the, the afternoon rains we get and such, and and the you know the how hot it gets in the middle of the summer. Um, that it may be better just to, to close it off financially and that to make the stadium work better. Yeah. No, I can't wait to see it. And that's going to be the next piece is like, what are they going to design? What is the cost of that going to be? How much will the raise actually finance? And a lot of that has to be worked out with infrastructure and, um, you know, just, just how they're going to, how they're going to go about it from a County and a city standpoint. They're a long way from actually putting a shovel in the ground, but it's interesting that uh, the Rays are behind this and now there's a community sort of support uh, trying to generate, you know, commitments for, um, you know, ticket sales and Sky Suites and all that community support that or corporate support, I should say, that's needed uh, as far as that goes. The thing that impressed me about this weekend with the Rays was the turnout was really good. I sense there's, you know, it's obviously there was one guy that wasn't here that should have been, and that's Evan Longoria. And you didn't really feel it maybe at FanFest, but you're going to feel it as soon as they start playing. To not see him at third base – the fixture that he's been, the greatest player of all time, the babe, out there now with San Francisco and the Giants, and he had put an Instagram about you know, his fan fest out in San Francisco, it's weird. It's beyond weird. It doesn't make sense. It, there's Clearly somebody's missing, and it's going to feel odd for a long time. But with that, though, Steve, is, is sort of a renewal of, I don't know, I would say like a, a, a commitment of – trying to build a younger core of players that could be together for a while. And, of course, with the Rays, I think it all starts with pitching. And I don't know that they're going to hit. They've lost a lot of home runs in terms of numbers and things like that. They may they may get it done a different way as far as moving the baseball. But I sense there's some excitement 
um, in the organization and maybe with the fans in time. I know they're going to lose some games. That these are, it's going to be interesting to watch these young guys come up and develop and and be here for a while because you know we haven't had that. We've had it seems like every year they're trying to thread the needle with a bunch of of new veterans that come in here and play for a year or two. And they're either, you know, coming off an injury like uh, Wilson Ramos or there's somebody that, you know, is, is just sort of passing through. This could be really exciting to watch these young guys develop. Well, I mean, you've heard for, you know, for many years now from, you know, whether it's Brett Honeywell or Jake Bowers or Willie Adamas and, and you know, baseball, you get, you get have control of a player for six seasons. You know, once they once their major league clock starts, you got three years on their deal, and then you get arbitration eligible for the following three. Um, assuming a stadium is open in twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three, you know, any players coming up now new should be in the new stadium. Um, so it's kind of That's building right. that core that you know, uh, you know, Atlanta was trying to do the same thing. You know, they were moving to a new stadium, so they did the rebuild. And whether the Rays are going full blown rebuild or not, that's you know, will be determined. And you know, we may not know that yet. Trading Evan Longoria doesn't mean it's a full rebuild, but but right. you know, these players coming up now, this is going to be the core that hopefully gets you in a new stadium in four to five or six years. Um, yeah. And and we've heard a lot about. It. I mean, Willie Adamas was part of the David Price trade. We've heard about him since then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Jake Bowers and and Brett Honeywell and, and Jose De Leon, who they traded for for Logan Forsythe, who no one really talks about because he was hurt last year. But um, right. some of that pitching depth and that, um, you know, I think this fan base is is used to used to bringing up a lot of young players and seeing them. And I think I think that does excite this fan base. They know they can't go you know trade for Giancarlo Stanton. That's not going to happen here. Um, you know Miami had to get rid of him because they couldn't afford him. Um, that's, right. just, that's just the economics of baseball and the, and the way that the current CBA is structured and the league is structured. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that, that youth and I think that does excite people that, you know, I think there's, you know, I think people view that there's probably a higher ceiling than signing, um, you know, free agents for a year or two that, you know, come here, do well, and then go elsewhere. Um, and they help your team and they're good. And, and there's a, you know, you can name a lot of them throughout the years have done very well, but I think that youth, that, that there's an unlimited ceiling potential. That excites people. Yeah, and the Rays are sort of trying to have it both ways. I mean, they're, 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 they don't want to say they're tanking, but they are recommitting to a younger group, uh, much like the, everybody wants to do in baseball, it seems, with the Astros and the Indian success. And that's why there's 130 players at IMG right now that you could fill the freaking all-star team with uh, because the market is just, is just not moving. We can get into more of that uh, as we go along this week. But what we don't know, this Rays – this is going to be a spring like no other because as things start to move and you Darvish has, has, has maybe begun that process by signing with the Chicago Cubs, but we still don't know, is Chris Archer here for the long run? Is Jake Odorisi going to start the season here? Uh, is Alex Colome really going to be their closer? Is he going to begin the season here? We know they want to get, uh, you know, dump payroll. We know they don't want to spend what they have spent in the past. And so I'm not sure that the changes are, are really, you know, all kicked in. I mean, it's clear that, Whoever starts with pitchers and catchers of the full squads work out in spring training this year, uh, you know, could be an entirely different group by the time you get to opening day. So we'll have lots of race talk this week. As I mentioned, um, we, we had a lot of interviews and you can go on uh, the Tampa Bay Times sports Facebook page and certainly watch uh, all of those. But uh, for now, uh, we're going to play uh, my conversation that I had with Ray shortstop Daniel Robertson, uh, who's no stranger to Rays fans. You guys all know this guy. He's uh, been around, veteran, if you will. No, 
<laughs> Not even close. After one year. Not even close. Well, you know, what's funny is this time last year, of course, you made the opening day roster. Yep. And, and that's not a small task, right? I mean, for, for those that, that have gone through the, the grind and, and to get here, um, but, but, but uh, people had told you and you knew and your father and everybody had told you you belong is, I mean, and from day one, you, you felt that way, right? I mean, it, it, it was obvious that uh, this was not too big for you. Absolutely. I mean, I just, I remember getting traded over here in the winter of 2015 and I came to my first fan fest. I can't believe this is already three <laughs> right. years later or, or whatever the deal is. And, right. um, yeah, I mean, last offseason, they, they added me to the roster, and I just came in with the mindset to, you know, in, in spring training just to show them what I can do. And, um, you know, I was able to do to do that and, and, and make the opening day roster, which was um, something I never imagined going into spring training right. or, or, like you said, this time last year. So, um, right. obviously, looking back, it's been great. Tons of things that I've learned build to build on and uh, just excited to, to put it into action this year. So. I think one of the hardest things that, that people don't appreciate is, is not just getting here, um, but if you're not playing every day, you know, you're a guy that, can, that, that has the glove, that can play shortstop, you can play, you can play a lot of the infield positions, um, but if you're called on, I think your first bite of the apple was as a DH, in fact. Uh, <laughs> right? So that's, that's another layer of, uh, of angst uh, that, that people don't understand. So how, how, do you, how do you stay ready? How, I mean, if you're not facing Major League Pitching every day, yeah, it, it's a different type of that, challenge, right? That, that was definitely the biggest adjustment for me just because, uh, I mean, coming up through the minor leagues, I was a guy that played every single day. Yeah. And um, when I get a chance to play my first game in the big leagues, it's as a designated hitter. And um, it's just it's different. Obviously, as, when you play defense, you like to be out there. You're in the game at all times. Absolutely. Trying to take a hit away from someone. So it's just... It's just a learning experience for all year, and I mean, obviously, I'll do whatever it takes to get into the lineup. But um, just just those learning adjustments about how to prepare when you're not playing every day. Yeah. Um, you know how how to come out here and and get your work in during BP stuff like that. Um, just to stay crisp uh, when you're not playing every day. So it's um, good learning experience, like I said, and I'm just excited to to build off. The, the trial and errors and things that didn't go right and um, just put it into effect this year. Talk about the opportunity because, I mean, this team it, it, it seems to be uh, rededicating itself to building a young core, uh, guys that, that will get an opportunity coming up from Durham, young yep. players like yourself. And really, it doesn't seem like a lot is settled, especially on the right side of the infield. I mean, you must feel like, you know, this is this is a, a good place for you to, to be right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, seeing guys like Longoria go. Sure. Um, who, who meant so much to this city, this franchise, uh, meant a lot to me learning from him the last three years or so. Mm -hmm. um, but, but like you said, n n there's, there's availability, but nothing is granted in this game. You still got to go out and uh, sure. improve it to the team and um, <laughs> just lay it out on the lines, you know. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to... I mean, I could sit here and talk about adjustments and all this that, that have happened over the offseason, but until you are out and you display it on the field, right. um, nothing really matters. So right. um, I'm just the same mindset coming in here. Um, going to try to play all over, and, and um, you just try to get as many at-bats as I can. So. People uh, aren't aware you have a foundation. I think you just recently uh, had, a, had a big event. Um, and uh, talk about that. And, 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 of course, your dad was uh, such a big part of your life. Uh, he passed away uh, of cancer. But you, you're doing something to, uh, to, to give back and help uh, where you can in that Absolutely. Field. Yeah, we actually um, stole the idea from, from this event. 
um, just like a, a fan fest of, where sure. people could come out and, and hang out with the pro players and play games, bring the kids out, whatever. And uh, so we just, the facility I use in the off season, um, we kind of just cleared out, set up a ton of games, uh, cornhole, ping pong, whatever the deal is. Uh, we got an autograph station, kind of, like I said, just like this. And sure. people buy a ticket and come in and hang out. And I, got, I get, you know, some pro guys that are in the area and it's, it's called Dan Robertson uh, Mini Fan Fest, so it's it's cool. We've had a it's been a big hit the last couple of years, and as I grow in my career, hopefully the foundation grows as well. Well, it's a, it's a great uh, a great thing that you're doing uh, with that foundation, and uh, I know that Rays fans excited to see Daniel Robertson and and some some young players in the core of this team still very oh, yeah. talented. That, that's what that's what I was going to say. Um, it it was really a pleasure when I got sent down to AAA last year because to be able to play with, with those guys who are going to make an impact on this team. There, there is a tremendous amount of talent that was down in Durham last year, and um, I'm, I'm really excited to see those guys come up and, and help this team out for sure. Right. It's gonna I be mean, we, we did make a run and, and won the AAA National Championship. <laughs> that's so right. that's, I think that says something about absolutely the, the players and the organization, and it should translate to, uh, to Tropicana. Right well, I think people are excited to see a young club. And Daniel Robertson, yep. ladies and gentlemen, shortstop, second baseman, infielder. Great to see you. Thanks Thank for stopping you. Thanks for by. Having Appreciate me. it. So the Rays pitchers and catchers will report to Port Charlotte on Tuesday. The first workout is Wednesday. Baseball is back. We'll have a lot of that for you this week. As I mentioned, more interviews uh, all during the week with the Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, we want to get, uh, as always, your feedback to this podcast. You can reach us on Twitter at SportsDay. TB. That's at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com or stroudbucks at aol.com. And of course, Steve, they can subscribe to this podcast wherever they are played. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in. You can always go to tampabay.com slash sports. Uh, it's also on SoundCloud. Uh, so uh, if you uh, subscribe to audio or any other podcast, you can get it the same way. Make this your habit. We want your feedback. Hope to talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.